Well, all right, why don't we gather back in our seats here and uh, we'll tune our attention to God's Word as we open it up together. Well, I want you uh, to invite you to open up your Bibles if you have one. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is where we'll be. And uh, this is a really important text in the Scripture, very challenging one. Uh, so I've been praying a lot about this, and as we've been covering the spiritual gifts the last several weeks in the book of 1 Corinthians and uh, kind of jumping back into that in our adult Sunday school hour next week, that's my plug for uh, you to come next week at uh, 9.15, um, 9 o'clock. When is it? 9 or 9.15? That's what I thought. See, I thought, and I, I don't actually know much about what goes on here, but... Um, <laughs> 9.15, that's good. And so uh, next week, join us as we'll talk a lot about this in more depth. But I, I guess I wanted to give you a little disclaimer before we jump into the text here. Um, when you, I find like passages like this in Scripture, you come to a, a really maybe, maybe unfamiliar topic, but then a topic that's really kind of controversial and debated in the church. And, and, and so our tendency often is to say, I don't know how important this is to me, or maybe you have an attitude sometimes, of, well, that's not too interesting to me, prophecy and tongues and, and all that stuff. I don't really understand it anyway, so it's not too interesting. And here's my kickback challenge for that kind of attitude, is the Bible and all its words ought to be really interesting to us. And so sometimes we come to topics like this and say, oh, I wish you'd just talk about something more important like purpose or relationships or having joy. And I would say if we understand the spiritual gifts correctly, we would have purpose in the gifts. We would have right relationships within the body and we would have joy. So I'm glad you want those things taught on because they're taught on here. I am so thankful we're on the same page in that. And so we are going to read from 1 Corinthians 14. Chapter 14 is a really long chapter, and it's 40 verses. And by God's grace, I'm going to get through all 40. That is not by way of scaring you that we'll be here for the next three hours. But we'll move through this passage. But I only want to read the first 12 verses together right now, and then we'll move through the rest of the text as we go. This is what the word of the Lord says. Paul is writing here to the Corinthian church about prophecy and tongues. He says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for the building, upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if your tongue, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, 
I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Well, with that, we are going to tackle this really tough passage, and uh, hopefully the Spirit would give us discernment in that, and that you would hear God speak and not me, that I would just be a tool that you could hear Him say what He wants us to know on this subject. So I invite you to pray, and then I'll pray for us together as we look to God's Word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would speak to us through your word. Father, we know that your word is written to us to know you, to reveal your son, Jesus Christ. It has things we can obey and things we can follow, and sometimes it has things that we don't understand fully, and so give us understanding by your spirit. Teach us now, we pray, that we would know... uh, how to better operate as a church that wants to see your spirit move among us for the glory of your name. And Father, thank you that we um, have the spirit to help us. And we just pray that you be glorified now and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't have any bedbug stories, thankfully, this morning, um, but I did, I did make three points regarding love last week, and if you remember my last one, it was this, we don't know everything, and I did that intentionally to set us up for this text. We simply do not know everything in the church, and the scriptures themselves are for us to give us all the things we need to know for faith and life and understanding, and yet there are different ways that people interpret and understand, and so when we come to a text like this, it's like, what does this really mean for us now? And we just don't know everything there is to know. God still has some mystery about us, or uh, mystery about himself, rather, that he hasn't fully revealed to us, so we'll dive in and see what does God want us to know about all of this. Now, regarding prophecy and tongues, I would say that the church is split, or maybe the better word to say is divided theologically over how this passage is viewed. And so there's a difference between how this passage is viewed with some churches on one end of the spectrum and uh, others on the other end of the spectrum, how you practice or participate in these particular gifts. And theologically speaking, if you know about this and if you studied it and if you hold a, what I would consider, strong view on this topic, uh, you would likely be referred to as either one of these kind of words, a continuationist or a cessationist. All right, and I'll explain those definitions here. A continuationist, theological word, is someone who believes the miraculous gifts, namely prophecy and tongues, as well as gifts of miracles and healing, are still practiced today in the church. So if you're a continuationist, you believe that the gifts mentioned here have continued on since Pentecost, the Spirit was given, and it continues on into the church age. All right, and there's variations and nuances of, of this. But then there's people on the other end of the spectrum that are called cessationists, and there's someone or a group of people that believe that the miraculous gifts have ceased, cessationists, or stopped being used after the early church, the apostles and prophets. So in other words, that yes, we see them in the scriptures in the context of the Corinthian church. Yes, people were speaking in tongues. Nobody's denying that. But it really doesn't exist for the church today for the building up of the church. And so there's a spectrum. Like I said, theologically, 
Uh, there's many different teachers on the subject, some at the far end of that spectrum, some at the far end of that spectrum. Some have nuanced views where they say, well, I agree with this gift being practiced, but not this gift. And so there's just a theological kind of, not a mess really, but just like a wide spectrum of viewing prophecy, tongues, gifts of miracles, healings, etc. And if you are familiar, you know by way of practice, like how that varies based on the type of church people go to or, or participate in. Now, the cessationist view is interesting, and I want to read a scripture in Ephesians so you can understand, well, why would anyone think that view? Often, uh, Ephesians 2 is cited in this way, 19 through 22. It says this, Paul's writing this too. So then you, to the church, are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Here's the key. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into the holy temple of the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Why I emphasize that line is a lot of cessationist people that believe the gift of prophecy, tongues, healing, miracles doesn't exist is because the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The apostles, the rule was that they had to have uh, experienced the ministry of Jesus and seen the resurrected Christ, which of course Paul on the road to Damascus fit into that as well, and that they were the founders of the early church. And the canon of Scripture wasn't written, and so prophecy needed to be a part of that until we had the canon of Scriptures, and then the Spirit doesn't give those gifts anymore. So that's the, the I guess, suppose the verse argument, if you will. The problem here is that we simply don't know um, how, whether or not biblically these gifts have truly ceased. In other words, the biblical arguments that people make in that are simply, I found, unconvincing. And so you come to a text like this and say, all right, you seem confused. I'm not completely confused. I'm just open. I, I want to ask this question. Do we think that this particular passage of Scripture is culturally relevant? And here's what I would argue in this for this present day. The problem, if, if we say that it's not, the problem you start to navigate down is what other parts of the New Testament aren't then. You see that progression? So if you come to this text and say, well, it just doesn't, Spirit doesn't, give those gifts anymore, you can start to go to other things in the scripture and say, well, that's not culturally relevant either. And the Bible quickly loses authority over time. Now, we know that God is sovereign. His word is complete. Revelation is final and sufficient for all time. So how then do we approach this subject? As I've kind of implored all of us to do on the spiritual gifts, we want to honor and seek the highest view of the authority of scripture. We want to submit to God's word in the, the most possible ways we can, and at the same time be led by the Spirit, seeking the Spirit in all things, the gifts that he gives, and we just want to be open to that. And so I've said this throughout our time together. Wherever you may have an opinion or stand on this issue, if you have one at all, God gives the wisdom, right? So if we don't We'll jump, jump into this verse 1 there. If we don't desire the spiritual gifts, as Paul writes here, we risk disobedience. And if we do desire them, I believe God will either grant them or not grant them. But to dismiss them entirely isn't an option when there's just not enough biblical evidence to do so. So let's let the Bible speak for itself here. I had uh, said this in Sunday school, quoted this verse, pa passage rather. I would look to it again in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21. It says this, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. 
but test everything and hold fast to what is good. And so we come to prophecy, tongues, all these things, and say, we don't want to quench the spirit, but we also don't want to be unbiblical. So we're going to test everything against experience and against God's truth there. And so I want to move through this text. It's a tough passage, but it's broken up into four parts as I see it. And the first one, I'll just give you the four, is the effect of prophecy. We're going to look at prophecy. Then Paul's next section on the incompleteness of tongues. Third, the need for congregational control. And then fourth, the need for an earnest desire out of our hearts. So the first one, the effect of prophecy. If you notice in verse one, it says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. There's two commands there, and maybe even three if it's talking about prophecy. But pursue love, Paul said, and I'll review this. Spiritual gifts are given to the church by people that have the Spirit in them. The Spirit gives gifts of, that are mentioned in, in the, the gift lists in the Scriptures of encouragement and teaching and knowledge. And to some, He gives these gifts and these gifts. And He gives them for the purpose of building up the church. But Paul was saying, if you don't have love in those things, they don't even matter. So we said that the fruit of the Spirit, love, is always over the gifts of the Spirit in the, the way that the Spirit gives. And so Paul says, there's your first command, pursue love. That's your highest thing that you could do in the body of Christ. Second, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. There's a command in Scripture that says, especially that you may prophesy. So, so Paul is saying, desire the gifts, especially this one. And so you see it as a command. You say, well, what do we do with that? Can we just, well, that was for then, this is now. I don't know about that. And so in verse 1 of chapter 12, Paul says, as he starts on spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be uninformed. In verse 31 of the end of that chapter, he says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. At the end of this chapter, he writes again to earnestly desire the gift of prophecy. In other words, it's important to take this seriously as a command. And I know this might be new to us, and so I want to explain at least a working definition of what is prophecy and what is tongues, as far as I can understand Paul is writing for this for this, this way. And what is prophecy? Prophecy, the simplest definition I can come up with is this. A word from the Lord through a member of his body, which is inspired by the Spirit and aligned with the word of God given to build up the rest of the body. And a key rule here. A prophetic word is always in line with God's word. And so prophecy, and we're going to learn here, is not necessarily, necessarily teaching, although that can come across in that way. It's not necessarily just knowledge. It's a word the Spirit gives you. Now, so, now right away, and I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be honest, I navigated this as a young child growing up in a church that did not really believe in this. And so I, I, I'm hesitant when I think of a prophetic word against what most of us think sometimes is like something outside of the Bible. Remember the rule. It's got to align with God's word. And so the Spirit sometimes gives us words to say towards other people in the body of Christ for the building up of the church that is in line with God's word. I'm going to share a couple examples of that personally for me in a bit here. But the rule is it's always in line with God's word. Now, tongues, what is the deal with that? We'll see more about this in the next section of the text here. But tongues is the ability to speak in an often unintelligible or different language by the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit essentially overtakes your mouth, your mouthpiece, and utters mysteries, Paul says. And so 
you're doing in your soul right now, you're doing a timeout like, that's weird, right? That's weird. That is, and if you don't have exposure to that, that's exactly what you'd be saying. Now, as far as we can tell in the scriptures, there's at least three kinds of generally tongues mentioned in the Bible or types. In Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit of God fell on people, it says that each one heard in their own language. So the gospel was going out. Jesus, let me walk you through the timeline again. Jesus dies, buried, resurrected, spends 40 days. He says to his disciples, I'm going back to heaven to be with the Father, but I will leave you the Spirit. And so the early believers were waiting, waiting, waiting for the Spirit. And at Pentecost, the Spirit fell. You can read about that in the early part of Acts. Fell on the believers and was now in people, right? The old way of, the old way of knowing God was they had to go to the temple, Holy of Holies, where the presence of God was. The new covenant, when that veil tore and, and God made a way through Jesus being the high priest, said, the Spirit's going to be in you. You are now the temple. And so the Spirit was indwelling in the lives of believers. And when Pentecost happened, all, all these people were speaking in tongues and people heard in their own language so they could receive the gospel. The second type is in a prayer language. Paul's going to mention it here, and you hear about this, and so I want to be careful because sometimes people say, well, I'll just I speak in tongues in my prayer language. There's an attitude that Paul is writing, which we will read about, at communicating to God. Tongues is between man and God, not for others, but a communication there. And so in a prayer language. And then the third is something like prophecy for the body, which Paul writes needs an interpretation. So people gathered in worship, tongues were spoken, people didn't understand, but somebody with the gift of interpretation came and said, here's what that means for the body. And as we'll see clearly in the text, without interpretation, tongues is not good for the body. So again, I'm going to stop us here and say, those of us with previous experience with this, there's a, it might be weird or not weird. So you say, well, yeah, I was a part of a charismatic church. I'm very familiar with this. Pentecostal churches, charismatic churches. Some of you say, I don't actually know what you're talking about, but I'm getting a little nervous. <laughs> this is really different. And, and why don't we practice it here if it's mentioned in the Bible? My hope is to guide us towards truth in the scriptures and be open to the spirit in this way. Now, I want to give you a couple of brief personal examples. And, and again, as I've shared through our time and learning about the spiritual gifts I'm on a journey, too, with this in just my exposure and background. And so if you're not familiar with, with tongues or prophecy, it's, it's really uncomfortable when you start to like get close to this. And I didn't grow up in a church that practiced these things, but I'm going to share just a few brief examples of encounters with such things that I wondered originally growing up, I'd have said, like, that's not from God, dismiss that. But having experienced different things, and again, it's not experience that doesn't trump truth. It's about me wondering, man, that happened, and I cannot explain that away. I'll give you just a couple of things about prophecy, and these are brief. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time just for my personal journey. I've referenced this often, but I got a graduation card back in 1996. Yes, that's when I graduated high school. Some of you, whatever. Anyways, I'll be 42 if you need to do the math in May. And so I got a card that I will always go back to as a, a, a scripture, Jeremiah 9, 23, 
through 24 in that card, but also some other words about my life and where that would go. And I've always referenced that as a very key moment in my Christian faith, feeling as if that some of the ways that that youth leader in my life had kind of looked ahead and whatever reason, God gave him words to say to me that impact me still to this day. Fast forward to 2010 and I was transitioning from my associate pastor role to a, a lead pastor role. And in my season, I can give you a lot of context for this, but I, I was really struggling with taking the lead role in this church in ministry because of where it was and just changes that I felt like the Lord needed to impress on this church family. And I was, and at least one other person in this room knows about this encounter, but I remember I was just really struggling and I went to pray early on in, in, um, navigating this transition. And I was at the Panera Bread in East Madison. And I don't, I still to this day don't know if I encountered a human or an angel, but it was the most unreal experience of a person, a guy coming up to me and saying something that a mentor friend had said to me in the year 2000, so 10 years after the fact, about ministry and what that would look like moving forward. And I remember coming back and I shared that with, with somebody and and I just said, I don't know what that was all about, but I, I really felt like that particular person prophesied, if you will, not anything uh, uh, like in, not in line with God's word, but spoken to me. And I don't even know if that guy was real. And I'm just being honest. Like I'd, the context of the conversation was so unique. And sometimes we, you bump into people and I get it. And you say, oh, like, well, that was not coincidence. God had that person there. But I never, never heard from this guy again. It was just one of those encounters that was strange to me. That was prophecy. Just, and I've had different experience. And just recently, just recently, Another strange encounter that several Sundays ago, I walked up to somebody feeling compelled by the Spirit to say something to somebody, and I think, as best as I can tell, maybe in that moment, God gave me the gift of prophecy to say something to this person, and later through another conversation, somebody asked me, hey, when, because I said this is what I said to him, he said, did you know that he was praying about that very thing? I said, I had no idea. Like, Let's be open to this a little more than we're closed to it. The second experience I would share was in 2012. I had a gal that some of us know. I don't need to mention her name. Um, she asked, could I pray over you in tongues? And I was, I, I have to be honest. That was unusual to me. And so I said, I guess. That's how I did it. I just, in my head, I was like, okay. Like, I'll, I warred and like, ah, this is going to be different for me. Don't know if I should do this. And I have to tell you, I walked away, because I'm a, a high authority of Scripture guy. I'm a Bible, like, let's not, in our culture especially, there are so many things that people are experiencing, running towards as truth, and they're not truthful. They're demonic and all these things. And so I'm always hesitant. And that's my, maybe to not my credit in that, but I have to tell you, after this particular gal prayed over me and the, the words, there was no fathomable way that I could imagine that these words were coming out of her unless they were born of the Spirit. They were unintelligible to me, and this was in the context of worship gatherings, so I say by the rules and everything, but I walked away from that spirit sensing the spirit of God. 
And, and I just don't know how to explain that any other way. And so I have had moments where this stuff has kind of come up into my world, the things that the Bible says, and I've been met with it and say, I want to know more about that. I don't know what to do with that. I couldn't just dismiss it. And so Paul begins to unpack the difference between tongues and prophecy in verses 2 through 4. He starts to dive into this. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. So there's that prayer language. For no one understands him. And I have to tell you, this woman who prayed that, I didn't have a clue. But if she was praying things in spirit over me in that way, that's just what it was. And she was uttering mysteries. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So you see the difference there. In tongues speaks to God. In prophecy, words are spoken to man. In tongues, there are us uttered mysteries. In prophecy, you're revealing truths about God or life and faith and action. In tongues, the person Paul is saying builds himself up. But in prophecy, build others up. Now, I want to make sure we're clear in this, that particular woman who asked if she could pray tongues over me wasn't the context in the worship gathering, and, and therefore, I, like the, the interpreter and all the rules that we'll read about, you would say, well, that was wrong. Like, that person, I, they had asked, I had received, whether they were building themselves up, building me up, I don't know about all that, but I know that that happened, and that I didn't think it was weird. That's, what I, that's all I can say about that. But Paul is making a distinction here, and he's saying ultimately desire prophecy because prophecy in the context of the body will build the body up because there will be understanding and revelation, and it will point towards God with greater understanding. And so we see verse 5, Paul says, so now I want you all to speak in tongues. So Paul is saying that's a great gift of the Spirit. I want all of you to do it, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongue unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So Paul right away says, desire the gift of prophecy. Aim for that. You should desire all the spiritual gifts. And that's kind of a checkpoint question. Do we desire all the spiritual gifts? That's just a question we need to ask ourselves. And Paul says, but most of all that you would prophesy, that you'd be able to, to do that for the building up the body. But then the next point, he comes into this tongues, and I would say the best way I could frame this of making that case for prophecy was because tongues was incomplete. It was missing something, and Paul begins to show that in verse 6 there. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Now, I'm going to stop there real quick. Some people think prophecy is just teaching, ex expository sermons, what we do every Sunday. And I would say by those four words being mentioned, and if you study the Greek, Paul is saying different things about different gifts. And so they must not be the same thing. He's saying, but if I speak in tongues, I can't bring the body benefit, unless somebody interprets, of course. But prophecy is going to bring great benefit. And then he uses examples, right? Uh, through verses 7-11 of 7-11. Did you see that? 7-11. Why does my mind do this stuff? I don't know. He says, you get a, a lifeless instrument, like a flute or harp, so we can understand this, or a bugle. If they're playing, like, but nobody knows what they're signaling, then they're not using any purpose in what they're designed for. And so Paul writes about that, and then he says in verse 9, so with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. He's not dismissing tongues as a thing that no one should practice. 
He's saying, desire prophecy above that, and as far as the gift of tongues go, it must, we'll see, have order within the sense of the body. His point here in verse 12 is you should earnestly desire the manifestation of the Spirit. In other words, we should want this. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Do we want the Spirit of God present in our lives? That says yes, and in our church body, we would say yes. But there's got to be some miss for us to say, what's our desire of that? Paul, again, back to the command, earnest desire is that we want to see that in our church body. By excellence, right? By the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to build up the church. We ought to be open in this way to the things of the Spirit. And I would say for people that believe they have the miraculous gifts and they desire that or those who want those, keep doing that. He continues in verse 13 through 18 that tongues need interpretation. He says that's why they have this incompleteness to them. And so he's basically saying, if you speak in a tongue, therefore, who one who speaks in a tongue, verse 13, should pray for the power to interpret. So if you speak in a tongue, you should actually desire to know. And this is where I feel like some people with a gift of tongues, they claim they don't have this second part. They should desire to know what they're saying. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. We know from the New Testament that the mind has to be fruitful, part of knowing God through our mind. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, in verse 16, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in position of an outsider say, Amen? You might know if you have ever been in a prayer gathering, and, and this just is real life. Some, sometimes people pray, even in English, and you go, huh? Paul is saying, if that's in a tongue, how could I agree? That's what amen means. When we collectively say that as a body, when we pray together, when, we, when, we, when our souls move us to agree with that, we say, yeah, I agree with that prayer. Amen. Paul is saying, if people are praying together with no interpretation in a tongue, I don't, that, what is that all about? I don't know. What, in the corporate body in that sense. And so he's just saying, like, prophecy elevates itself. You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. In verse 17, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Paul is saying, I praise God for the gift. His point here, again, in verse 19, nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Paul's point here is, is he's driving home as he would rather prophesy so the church could be built up and all could understand rather than to have this remarkable gift take control of his tongue that no one could understand. And so you get closer to knowing, maybe some of you know church, churches that practice or experience where everybody's encouraged to speak in tongues. And Paul's saying, if no one understands that, it's not truly building up the church. Now, I don't have the gift of tongues, and I'm not even sure I have the gift of prophecy, although I shared, I think that just like we've talked about in the gifts, I think they come in season. And so I think the Spirit can give those in moments. In, in when, but here are at least five words of prophecy for you today as aligned with the Scriptures. And I'll just give you these five words. Earnestly desire 
the spiritual gifts. I didn't write that. But that is a word to all of us today that we should earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. As we've journeyed through the last several weeks together, that is all I've been asking God for, for our church family, that we would earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. That if that's not a prayer of our heart, that's not an attitude of our life, we want Jesus to be exalted in this place and throughout this community and throughout our county and throughout the state. And we want to do what he desires. I wonder if we care enough about the gifts of the Spirit and the building up the body in that way. And again, I confess, we have not done as good a job as leaders at teaching about the spiritual gifts and praying together about those things, but that's ought to be our desire. And ultimately, Paul wants us to be mature in that. He mentions it in verse 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be immature. In the law, it is written by people of strange tongues, and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to his people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. Paul wants us to be mature about this, to see the wonder of God, and prophecy then is a sign for the believers in building up the church. You see, tongues will be confusing to others if everyone does it in church. If someone walks in, and, and again, I know churches that everyone speaks in tongues, and if you're a visitor and that's new to you, and you're even a believer, that's, that's really strange. I don't know what's going on. And Paul is saying, this manifestation of the Spirit can sometimes be confusing to the rest of the world. And he says then, but if somebody prophesies, look at verse 25, the secrets of his heart will be disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. In other words, Paul is saying, when somebody prophesies that somebody can understand with their mind, then they might be led to Jesus in repentance. The gospel might be heard. You know, some have argued about cessationists would say, in church history, prophecy in tongues just was not practiced. And if you go back and look at different preachers, and I even think I read about this a long time ago, Charles Spurgeon, a great 19th century preacher, in the middle of his sermon, by, had to be by the gift of the Spirit, the take, the, his mouth directed towards somebody and called out somebody in the congregation who had stolen gloves and says, those gloves do not belong to you. Now, some of you are really nervous right now about what I would say next, right? But that was a gift of prophecy in a moment, unrelated to his sermon, where he, it's recorded that he just directed his attention toward a young man and said, those gloves that you have in your possession do not belong to you. They were stolen. That man repented, fell on his face, turned back to Christ in obedience because of a word that was clearly understood by the entire body. And so I'd argue this has happened several times in church history since the first century. Regardless of where we stand on the issue, though, Paul stresses one thing the need for congregational control in my third point there. Here's where other churches by practice on these gifts are often, and some of you are even thinking of experiences you've had, I would say are a little bit out of control. Largely in Pentecostal churches, charismatics, I'm not speaking of all churches like that though, but when everybody speaks in tongues and it's taught that it's a sign of salvation, we know that's not true because it's not given to everybody. And so that's wrong. Sometimes you've heard or seen or watched television and this idea of being slain in the spirit, inviting people up and they, they fall backwards, disorder and chaos. And you wonder, 
is that what you're talking about right now? Like that just seems unsettling to you when the chaos and the disorder of that. And if you've ever been a part of that as a believer and witnessed that, as I have at times, you feel unsettled. And that's what Paul is aiming at. There's not a peace in your soul about that because that might not be from the Spirit. Now, I'm not saying I cannot know this because I'm not part of all those situations where you will say, well, I felt the Spirit very present. That may be true. But a lot of times people question that or have a sense of disunity about that because it might not be from the Spirit of God. But when it draws you closer to Christ and when it draws you closer to the understanding of the gospel, when it draws you closer, as Paul says in verse 25, that the secrets of your heart, which is sin and deception and all those things are disclosed and falling on your face, you will worship God and declare that God is really among you. That's the evidence, right? When we know something is right and true, we are led back to the gospel. We are led to fall on our face in worship of a holy God. We just sang it beautifully moments ago. Holy, 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 how great thou art. We're led back to worship and falling on our face in that way when things are from God and by the Spirit, even if they're strange at times. And so Paul stresses order in verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all these things be done for building up. Describes the appropriate elements of corporate worship. Now, it was interesting growing up in the church I did. We actually did that, kind of. But my church growing up didn't believe in the spiritual gifts continuing. But we had a moment in our our Sunday, Sunday morning hour, it was the Lord's Supper. We took it every week together and people would stand up and then they would share. And so it's very interesting, theologically not believing those gifts, but actually practicing the literal interpretation here of sharing words with one another. And so that's what we do when, we, when we've experienced before. We gather as, as a body Sunday nights when we gathered for prayer evenings, reignite, or even in Cambridge recently, believers that gather and sing together and share what's on their heart and pray for one another. That's what Paul is saying, but there's order in that. No matter what, the stressor is in order in verses 27 through 32 in prophecy. If any do speak in a tongue, let there only be two or at most three, each in turn, and let someone interpret. So the difference there is Paul is saying, okay, let's, if you speak in tongues, there has to be order. There has to be interpretation. That is a key, but only two or three. So not everybody the whole hour. And some of you may have been in church environments where speaking in tongues was a thing and you were just encouraged to do that and everybody does it. And Paul is saying something much different here. And then he goes on, but let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh in. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject, or, and the spirits of the prophets of prophets are subject to prophets. And then in verse 33, why does he write about this need for order? For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Paul's point is this, not to push us away from the gifts, but to say, there's a way to tell if this thing is real, is if the body is being built up and if there is order and not confusion, if there's peace in the hearts. I've shared before, I've been in experiences where I'm just unsettled. This, I don't think this is from God. The Spirit of God is giving me that kind of unrest and unsettled nature. And so Paul draws them in and says, when things like this happen, you have to have unity. God is a God of order, not disorder. But we must be open to the things of the Spirit. And friends, this is different and difficult, and, and I'm not 
going to resolve all of this for us in this text, but I want to be open to the Spirit of God, even if things are different to us because of what we've put God in a box with in our past experience. Now, I'm going to get to the, um, this little section. I don't want to skip over it. I don't have a lot of time for it. The right, what follows this is this passage in verses 33 through 36 about women, or 35 being women and silent in the, in the church. I don't have a lot for time's sake, but I will say this. It presents this very strange little section, and I'll read it here. As in the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now, this is a whole other subject for another day, but here's what I'd say about that now. Whatever is being said here, we know that it cannot be contradicting Scripture, right? The Bible references women prophesying. You see that in Romans. You see that in the book of Acts as uh, Philip has four daughters that prophesied. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. And so whatever is being taught here was likely cultural in context that there was a specific problem in Corinth with gossiping disorderly wives that were not practicing any kind of submission to the lordship of Jesus or their husbands, which is why Paul addressed it in 1 Corinthians 11. And so that's culturally in context there. I just know that it cannot be saying that women ought not be speaking in the church because women have prophesied. We see that in the book of Acts. And so I don't have a lot of time in that. We can take that section for another day. But Paul's point is there must be order in the church in these things. And so the last point for time's sake as I wrap up, the fourth is that the need is there for earnest desire. If you think... Paul says, if you think, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet in verse 37 or spiritual, he should acknowledge the things I'm writing to you are not a command of, are, are command of the Lord I'm writing to you. He says, Paul was an apostle and a prophet, right? So he says, this is a command of the Lord that you understand these things rightly. You ought to desire them. Paul was an apostle. He had authority. But in other words, he's saying, don't take my word for it. He points right at Jesus. He said, these things are from the gift of the Spirit. Acknowledge the authority of the Lord in that. And so he says, I have authority. I could tell you this. But here, church, desire these things earnestly. Desire them for the good of the body so that they could be built up. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forget, forbid speaking in tongues. Paul's point there is that we as a church body ought to desire spiritual gifts, manifestations of the Spirit. In fact, that we ought to prophesy a command there, making sure that all things are done in decency and order in verse 40. So where do you go from there? We need, we need to understand the effect of prophecy. We under, understand that tongues have an incompleteness for them in the body. We ought to understand that there needs to be order in the life of worship, and we ought to desire that. Well, now what? Here's what I would say. We're not going to resolve all of this today either, but because there is simply no biblical warrant for the total cessation of gifts, this total ceasing of gifts, we have to be drawn towards Christ. And we have to be drawn towards praying in a way that we would understand by God's grace wisdom that Jesus remains the same yesterday, today, and forever, that the church is his, and he longs to see the church grow in maturity in both the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And so we have to be people of the Word and the Spirit. 
And so here's my brief counsel. If you desire the gifts of the Spirit, and I would say you're being scripturally obedient to do so, pursue them. Pursue them in an open way and say, God, I don't know what you're saying about all this, but pursue them. If you don't desire that and you've listened to me for the last 40 minutes and be like, I still don't understand what you're saying, consider them. Consider how you take a command in Scripture like this and apply it practically. Be faithful to make sure that you don't risk disobedience by just ignoring them altogether and to practice the command. Remember, the important part of pursuing God's word in purpose for the sake of relationships in the church and for joy. I love, and I'll close with this, I love how David Pryor writes this about this particular passage as we've covered in verses or chapters 12 through 14. He says, the tenor of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is to open up our horizons, to increase our expectancy, and broaden our vision of all that God, by His Spirit, wants to do in the body of Christ. Let us not then, in reaction to the difficult nature of these texts, adopt an understanding of spiritual gifts which is effectively excluding a God who transcends our finite minds and who in his love reveals himself unexpectedly in our moral existence. We believe that a supreme miracle happens in conversion and regeneration. Why not thereafter? And that's my, my counsel to us. Let's be open to the things that we don't understand for the sake of God revealing to us things that we could understand. In other words, let's not put God in a box. Let's worship him. Let's know him in the most full way possible and experience him in all his fullness, desiring and using all the gifts he graciously gives for the glory of his name. I have no idea what God will do in this church if we all embrace that. He might do something remarkable, and I don't want to be afraid of that. I want to step cautiously and test everything into that, but I want us to pray earnestly that we would desire to be a family of God operating in the gifts and that we would know God in the most full way possible. Amen? Let's pray. I want to leave you with this um, from Hebrews 4. In light of what we've learned, it says in verse 14 through 16, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Have a blessed day. Go in peace. You are sent.